Welcome to this Purdue Engineering podcast featuring research that addresses critical issues related to societal resilience in the face of crises and efforts to engineer long-term solutions for a more robust future. My name is Shruti Suresh, and I am a PhD candidate in the Weldon School of Biomedical Engineering, known as BME at Purdue. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Krishna Jayant, an assistant professor in biomedical engineering, and learn more about his research on the applications of technology to neuroscience. Welcome, Professor Jayant. You're a fairly new faculty member in BME. Having started in 2019, can you tell us a little more about yourself and the work that led you to Purdue? First of all, good morning. Thank you for having me on this podcast. It, it, it's a pleasure. I'm an electrical engineer by degree, and I've completed my PhD in 2014 from Cornell. And I worked in an area which is today called nanobioelectronics. And during the time, during my time in PhD, I kind of got introduced to this, to the field of neuroscience, which is, you know, looking at specific processes and trying to record from them from an instrumentation perspective. And so when I completed my PhD, I really got interested in this field and it's fascinating for an engineer to start studying biology. I decided to kind of shift field completely and do a postdoc in neuroscience. And I went to Columbia and I worked with a, a very well-known personality who was also instrumental in initiating Obama's brain initiative. And so at the time, as a postdoc, you try and look for new directions. So I tried to kind of take my background in, in nanoscale engineering and try and apply to neuroscience, which is where I think it's a very nascent field. And we are one of the few groups that are trying to push both fields together. That is the applications of nanoscience to neuroscience. And so when I completed my postdoc and I was looking for opportunities as to where I could come and you know, set up a lab and then exploit both these directions, there are very few schools that are actually very good at both. And Purdue, apart from all the other options that I had, I thought Purdue was excellent for two things. One, it has a stronghold in the area of nanoelectronics for years and, and decades. And so I've been reading, you know, some of the first textbooks that I read and the first papers that I read were from, by Mark Lundstrom, you know, when I was an undergrad and graduate student. So for me, it was, Purdue wasn't like something alien. I already knew that they were very, very strong on the nano side. What was presented to me was a very beautiful and growing ecosystem of neuroscience. So when I saw the two, I felt that this would be the best place to kind of set up a lab that could try both. Not to mention that based on my proposal, I was at least called for an interview, which also shows that there's an interest from Purdue to have someone like me. So that's why I, I came to Purdue. I thought, you know, the facilities were fantastic for these two areas. Uh, Weldon School is beautifully situated. We're right near Burke, which is a nano hub. And for us to work with Burke Nano, with such proximity to biological people around you, like especially with biomedical engineers, biologists, chemical engineers, mechanical engineers, it really is a beautifully well-situated interdisciplinary hub for the kind of work that we do. And why Weldon? I think biomedical engineering at Purdue is growing in strength. We have an excellent neuroscience base now. We also have animal facilities that are state-of-the-art. So when you club state-of-the-art technology with animal facilities and an environment that's conducive for heavy amounts of microscopy, these are the right ingredients for a very successful you know, research portfolio at the end of the day. I think that's what makes us very successful at Weldon. Your work has been described as bridging nanoscience and neuroscience. Can you tell us a little more about what that means with regards to your research focus? The word nano is kind of you know, thrown around today in, in, a, in a big way, but it's a sense of scale. 
right? A lot of our modern day electronics is made up of transistors, which is a basic building block of, of any chip. And these are manufactured at 14 nanometers today. So that means the minimum feature size is about 14, and in fact, even going smaller. To give you a sense of scale, our, a human hair is about 100 microns in diameter. And so when we talk about nano and micro, we're talking about one micron being one hundredth that of a human hair and nano being one thousandth that of a, you know, a micron. So that is like extremely small, right? So we're bridging the field of nanoscience with neuro is exciting and fascinating for two things. The brain is extremely complex. I consider it one of the most complex organs to study. And we have, you know, every year we kind of discover new cell types. So in the early, late 90s, there were like maybe a billion neurons and it became 10 billion neurons. Today it's like 100 billion neurons with a trillion connections. So the architecture of the brain, as well as the scale of certain features of neurons, are at the micron resolution already. In fact, the gap between two neurons, termed a synapse, for example, is a cleft that is not more than about five nanometers in width. So inherently, there's a lot of nanoscale function going on at that scale in the brain as we, you and me are speaking right now. For many years, it's been a challenge to be able to map activity at all these different scales simultaneously. And for the longest period, we've been able to record massive amounts of activity. You could talk about brain-wide activity, or you've been able to record a certain population. But at that nanoscale, it was pretty hard. And so the technology that we create tries to bridge that gap. It tries to get to that point where measurements were previously thought to be impossible. We make them possible. So that's basically what goes on in my lab on a daily basis. I absolutely love that explanation and that amazing ability for you to be able to communicate your research to somebody in very easy terms. I thought that was amazing. But what are the goals of your research and how do you think your research will make an impact on society? The ultimate goal is to try and understand brain function, right? I really want to understand how do neurons process the information that we have, that we kind of perceive, and how does the brain kind of actually encode that functionality to induce a specific behavior. In a nutshell, the goal that I really have set out to do is to kind of create methods, techniques, and deliver a biophysically plausible explanation for a behaviorally relevant function. So the idea is that can we actually mechanistically decouple what happens in the brain in order for us to touch an object, see an object, hear sound? What is it that actually makes these neurons process the information the way they do? So I'm interested in that underlying algorithm as an engineer, but I'm also interested in the technologies that we build to kind of get to that algorithm. And obviously with the neuroscience angle, we are interested in how does this actually then correlate back to behavior. Could you give an example of some of the projects that you've worked on? To kind of give you an example of how we bridge these two fields, I'm going to take an example here of a project that we recently got funded on, where the cortex is layered in, in the mammalian brain, and it's layered into different layers. So layer one all the way to layer six, and this spans about 900 microns in a mouse brain. It's millimeters in a, in a human brain. But the cortex is the area of our brain that is responsible for higher order functions. So it's cognition, sensory processing, a lot of it occurs in the cortex. There is a layer 
which is very deep within this cortex, which you have a specific population of neurons, which are termed pyramidal neurons. These are the workhorses of the cortex, and they're primary output layer of the cortex. So you have sensory processing that comes in. So for example, you touch an object, your sensory receptors feel that, it goes through to your brainstem, from the brainstem it's passed into the cortex, it goes through multiple layers of wiring, reaches layer five, which is deep, and layer five is the output. Okay, so that eventually gives you some sort of an action or a reflex. Layer five, when these neurons are not just one cell body, they have these elaborate features like termed dendrites and axons and synapses that spread several hundred microns. These dendrites are inherently very small. The soma could be, there's a cell body is very large. It's about few, you know, tens to 20 microns, but you, then you have dendrites at about a micron. And then you have synapses that are less than a micron, submicron, a micron and an even lower. So the question here is, how do we record from dendrites in an awake animal while it's performing a behavioral task? And that electrically has been absolutely, I wanna say impossible today. And so we're coming up with a technology that is based on nano electrodes. So electrodes that are sub 100 nanometers that could sneak into dendrites. So we have an array of them on flexible platforms that goes into the brain, and these electrodes are then able to sneak into dendrites and then basically hear the activity that's going on. So it's akin to saying, you know, you're sitting outside an orchestra hall trying to listen to the orchestra, or you could go into the orchestra hall with, you know, sneak in through the door and you'll probably be able to hear the sound way better. And that's basically the analogy that we're painting here. We have an electrode that kind of sneaks in, comes in very close and is able to hear the chatter that's going on in these dendrites. And the information that's being processed there is actually some of the inputs that are coming through. So what we're trying to deliver is an input-output kind of transformation, which is actually what we do in engineering every day. For dynamical systems, we try to understand the output, we know the input, so you have a transfer function for that system. And we're trying to deliver that for these neurons that are very hard to actually record from. These dendrites are very hard to record from. So if we are able to record both this, the eventual output as well as the input, we should be able to give a better understanding of how these neurons process output information in the cortex. You touched upon this a little bit earlier, but how is the Weldon School uniquely positioned for the research that you want to do? It's a very good question. Eventually, once we have an understanding of this function, the reason this is important is because a number of neuro disorders and dysfunction is related to dysfunction at this scale. And so if we understand how that works, we should be able to deliver a better understanding of how to treat disorders in the future. So Weldon is also really positioned well for this because we do have a massive undertaking in providing better cures and treatments for human health. And that is a central goal for the department, right? It's a biomedical engineering department. And why is it well poised? Because inherently biomedical engineering is probably one of the most interdisciplinary sciences and departments out there. So for someone like me doing you know, electronics and technology on one end, optics on one hand, and then applying them to neuroscience on the other, it really is one of the very few departments that can house someone like me and provide and cater to the kind of facilities that one needs to complete such, I wanna say, ambitious projects. This sounds pretty amazing, but what is the most exciting part of your research and what keeps you interested in your work? There are a few things that excite me. Obviously, I think the idea of discovery 
I think as an engineer, not just the invention of a new device that works, but I think the ability of that new technology to discover something that no human has seen before is absolutely, like it keeps the fire in my belly burning, right? That I have that urge in the morning to get up and come to work because I believe that every day we might make a breakthrough that would yield something that we've never seen before. But at the end of the day, I think I'm just fascinated by science. I think anything that is unknown excites me. And as an academic, I think that passion is what brings me and wakes me up in the morning and brings me to work, is the ability to interact with my postdocs and my graduate students and talk to them about science, being able to kind of push the boundaries on what we can do. We do work on projects that are pretty much impossible for you know, many other labs. So I do believe in pushing the bar and I do believe that science should never be boring. You should never have a boring day at work and every day is exciting. So yeah, to me, it's the idea of discovery that really keeps me wanting to go ahead and keep doing more. What advice would you share with potential undergraduate, graduate students and postdocs who are interested in working in your area of research? I encourage all three of them. Actually, even though I've been here for only a year and a half, I do go out of my way to kind of have undergraduate research done in my lab, in part because I did undergraduate research myself when I was an undergrad, and I've benefited from it absolutely enormous ways because I think undergraduate research really helps. It shapes one's thinking, it gives you a lot of maturity in terms of research at a very young age and then it makes you more mature when you get into a PhD to decide what is right, what is wrong, you know, directions that you want to go in. I'm not saying that you should do undergraduate research and without that you, you may not be successful, you will be, but it, it just definitely shortens that path. To me the most important thing is passion, ambition, and excitement in your research. I think these three components for any graduate, undergraduate, or postdoc is absolutely paramount because without having an ambition or a goal in your mind of what you'd like to try and do as a scientist or as an engineer, you won't have that fire in your belly to wake up every morning and come in. So to me, these three together is something that all you know, the undergrads, grads, and postdocs need to kind of have in order to kind of succeed in this field because neurosciences are not easy, nanotechnology is also not easy, and when you combine the two, it is a lot harder, and so you need to kind of have that much more of a need to succeed in, eventually in this field. My advice would be just go for it. If you like the idea of risk, just jump in and see how it goes. Thank you, Professor Giant, for your time and discussing your exciting research with us. Be sure to listen to our other Purdue Engineering podcasts featuring Walden School of Biomedical Engineering faculty and see the show notes on the podcast website for additional information about biomedical engineering at Purdue.